Welcome to Life Lessons with Dr. Steve Shell. For 20 years, Dr. Steve's 30-minute radio program, Life Lessons, was heard throughout the United States. Committed to comprehensively teaching through entire books of the Bible, Pastor Steve pulls out the deep, eternal truths in each section of Scripture without skipping over the challenging passages. He applies what is learned clearly and practically so that we're inspired not to just be hearers of the Word, but doers also. This is an introduction to the book of Acts. What does the Lord want to do with us? Why would he take us to the book of Acts? Because he does want us to go to the book of Acts. I actually was, in some sense, trying to steer another way. And, um, and, and he made it really clear to me, no, no, you must lay a foundation in this. There must be an understanding to which I give all of you, because I'm doing something. Remember that passage in Isaiah 40. It's become so precious to me. It's just opening up where the Lord says, prepare the way of the Lord. May the mountains be brought down and the valleys be lifted up. The rough places made smooth and the narrow places have made a broad plain. That the glory of the Lord may come in. And I realized that really, if you want to give a definition to what is, should a church be doing, it isn't like having a religious service. It isn't even getting big. What should a church be doing? Preparing the way of the Lord. Why? For the glory of the Lord to come. What does that mean? It means for the power of God to intensify. The active working of God among us, and it's beyond us. When God starts moving, it is beyond us. Have you ever been in a, in, in, in a revival? Have you, have, what do you want to call this? Where there is a strong outpouring of the Spirit. It has not been that strong for these past years. I mean, God's moving. I'm not knocking what he's doing. But I'm telling you, it gets, it gets more, much more intense than this. And the, some of us old people who've been in that know that. Uh, that's what brought me uh, and my mother to the Lord. Uh, I, I, wasn't, I didn't figure it out. I got, I got forced to be in a room where the power was. I got stuck in a chair. They left me alone and the power hit me. I mean, that's evangelism for you people. Some poor kid, you know. And, my, and I'm, I'm, t- I'm, I'm, I'm different today. I don't do this for any other reason. He scarred me. He laid a hold of me and just shook me to my roots. And I've never been the same since that moment. I'm not perfect, I got my issues, etc. But my heart, it's not a game for me. It's not a game, because I know. The po- I've met the Lord in power. I've seen his wonderful presence. He's come over me. He's, he's, he wouldn't let go of me. That's what we want for people. There, comes, there, can come a, there can come a work of God which has nothing to do with a well-organized service. Actually, the main work of God is way outside the church. It's out in the world. It's through all of his people. His people full of faith, full of love, full of energy and and, and faith in what they're doing. Move out as they're led of God. That's what we're going to see in the early church. That's That's the story that Luke tells us. He's showing us the promises fulfilled. And it's 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 what as we as we come into Acts, we want their example to be prophetic to us. We want their example to challenge us and draw us forward. We want all we can have of God, do we not? Yes. yes. So this book is going to be for all of us, and it'll start with me, is going to just draw us out and say, you can go deeper. 
You can go further. You can go on more. There's more for you. Come on. It's not going to let us be complacent. It's going to draw us out to walk deeper in God. Father, we ask for the word to come alive to us. We ask, oh God, we, you, you've led us now to look at our forefathers and mothers, to go, to go back 2,000 years and to look at how it came from your hands. Oh God, open our eyes to see, our ears to hear. And we tell you, we incline our hearts to be tender, to respond in faith and obedience, that as you show us, as you show us what you want, we will obey and we will obey quickly. Grace us, Lord, as a people. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Welcome to the book of Acts. Today we begin an adventure. We will regularly be traveling back in time nearly 2,000 years to watch our forefathers and mothers live out their faith. Many of them actually knew Jesus. They had watched him minister and had listened to him teach. And what we read in this book is their obedience to what they heard him tell them to do. He had been a good teacher and they loved him. They had watched him ascend into heaven. They believed in him. So when he told them to wait for the Holy Spirit, they waited. When he told them they would do the same kinds of ministry as he had done, they did. They stood in the same place in the temple where he stood and taught and healed the crowds just as he had. They gathered in homes to eat together, discuss the word and pray just as they had done with him traveling through Galilee and Judea. He assured them that after he ascended, he would still be with them. So they continued to expect him to lead them as their Lord. When he said he would send them to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even the remote parts of the earth, they went. As we read Luke's historical account of the first 30 years of the church, the example of these early believers continues to challenge us. Indeed, the book of Acts has often been used in the past to inspire revival. Sooner or later, someone reads the book and asks, why don't we do these things anymore? Why don't we practice that? Why don't we do these things anymore? Yeah, that question has gotten a lot of people in trouble. And if they refuse to listen to the excuses, someone always supplies. Did you see that line? I'm, I'm not trying to be sour. I'm just telling you that it, it, this doesn't go down easily. And if they refuse to listen to the excuses, someone always supplies. They've taken the first step toward a fresh move of God. You and I, just if you've been around Christianity at all, if you read commentaries or your study Bibles or anything else, are constantly coming across comments and observations of Acts that tell you basically this. Don't believe your lion eyes. You read it and go, wow, should we be going? And they, no, you shouldn't. And, and then they explain why. And they, they, they have different theologies. They say, well, that was just for the apostles. You say, well, where does it say that? Well, just trust us. It... <laughs> and and, and, and they, 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 have, they have all kinds of things. that This stuff left then, and it's not for today. Uh, you've been, the, the book of Acts, is, shouldn't, you shouldn't teach from the book of Acts. It's a narrative. It's a, it's a history. Hey, a picture's worth a thousand words. You want, you, you want clarification. Here, are the, here is the first church doing what they believe their master told them to do. They walked with him. They knew him. They, they, if anybody's going to get it right, they're going to get it right. 
And this is what they understood their master to say they wanted, he wanted them to do. The, the, the book of Acts is full of theology. It is New Testament theology in action. So, here we go. The book of Acts is the second installment in Luke's history of the ministry of Jesus Christ. We all know that Luke wrote Acts, did we? Uh, he also wrote the Gospel of Luke. I hope that's not new. Um, so he, he wrote the Gospel, and he wrote the book of Acts. In the Gospel, he wrote, he reveals the person of Jesus himself, his life, death, and resurrection. Now he picks up where his Gospel left off and shows us the risen Lord as he continues to minister through his church. Jesus repeatedly told his disciples to expect that after he was glorified, the Holy Spirit would be given to them in far greater measure than, they had, than had ever been possible before. I'll show you some of that later. His resurrection and ascension would inaugurate a new era of God at work from within his people through all of his people. As the Lord of the church, he would continue to lead us. To use Paul's metaphor, he would be our head and we would be his body. As the savior of the church, he, he atoned not only the sin of our spirit so that we now have full fellowship with God. See, the, the rebellion, the independence, the selfishness, the, the, the accumulated sin is removed so that there is now no, no, no separation, no anger in heaven at all. Uh, so we are restored to God entirely. But look at this. But, but now our physical bodies as well. He has atoned our physical bodies as well. That's Romans 8.3. So that the Holy Spirit can dwell within us. Empowering us to function at a supernatural level as he did. He told his disciples they should not be sorrowful when he would ascend into heaven because his physical departure was not the end of his ministry, but rather a strategic transfer of his ministry to his people. I want you to see that one. Look at John, 8, uh, John 16. You'll notice I'm giving you uh, various supportive scriptures that you can look up later. Uh, I'd, I'd love it if you did. John 16, 5. Jesus says, now I am going to him who sent me. I'm, I, I will be leaving soon. And none of you asks, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. They're grieving that they know he's going to leave. But listen to verse 7. But I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, mine says... Who's that? The Holy Spirit will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. Now, is anyone supposing the Holy Spirit isn't present when he speaks that? But something new is going to happen, isn't it? He says, I must go away so that the Holy Spirit can come in this new dimension. This new dimension is not here yet. It has never happened before. But what I've done... When I, after my resurrection, I will ascend into heaven and a new era will begin. I want you to see that. It's, it's the way it, he's taught over and over again. What had been limited to one man during his earthly ministry 
would now be multiplied exponentially because the Holy Spirit would be at work through all believers. He also said that by the Spirit, he and the Father would be present within each one. He and the Father would be present within each one. I might as well show you that now. You're John 16. Flip back to John 8, 14. Look there at uh, verse 20. In that day, actually I'll start at verse 18. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Okay, I'm, gonna, I'm leaving. I'm going I'm to be crucified, resurrected. I'm going to ascend into heaven. But I am not leaving you here on planet earth as orphans. I will come to you. After a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Because I live, you will live also. When the Holy Spirit comes, as I promised, you will see me. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I where? I'll be in you. Yeah. Look down at verse 23. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. And we, who's we? Father and Son, now the Father and Son, we will come to him and make our abode with him. Isn't that beautiful? So when this Holy Spirit comes, not only does the Holy Spirit come, as it were, but the Holy Spirit brings to us, of course, the Father and the Son. So Jesus dwells within us, and I'll, I'll, I'll show you more on that. As we read, where did I leave off? Yeah, right there. As we read Luke's account of the early church, we see these promises fulfilled. We see the arrival of the Holy Spirit in a new dimension. And then watch remarkably transformed men and women boldly carry the message and work of Christ to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and into the distant Gentile nations. Just as he said they would. Thanks to Luke, we are able to see Christianity being lived out as it was intended to be. We are able to observe how the church functioned when it was led by the apostles themselves. We're shown a picture of the early church fresh from the hands of Jesus. Before traditions, philosophy, and politics sapped its strength. We see New Testament doctrine in action. Every move of God tends to corrupt over time. Like a grapevine, it needs pruning. And the book of Acts is one very important way God prunes us. By showing us how he intended his church to function, we discover what needs to be changed in our churches today. When the example of the first church is laid beside our church, the differences become obvious. Most of us will discover that our forefathers and mothers functioned at a far greater level of guidance, spiritual gifts, relationships, boldness, evangelism, and holiness than we do. Certainly, the culture we live in varies widely from those we read about here. But for that matter, the culture of that day varied widely from, the, from place to place as well. People will often say, well, they lived in a different culture, for heaven's sakes, it's 2,000 years ago. People were very different back then. They were nice. <laughs> people are people, folks. <laughs> we have always. So fundamental human issues are fundamental human issues, and it will be 2,000 years from now if the Lord tarries. People are people. And you say, well, we have a different culture. Of course we do. They had different cultures then. You've got 
you got Jerusalem, and then you've got all of these nations, for goodness sakes. It's, it's, it's like going to a different planet. And yet Christianity thrived. In all that variety, Christianity thrived. Just want you to see, we can't pull the culture card. You can't pull the card, culture card and say, okay, we don't have to do this because culture. Yet the essential nature of what God wants to accomplish through his church does not change from culture to culture or generation to generation, at least not until his son returns in power. So we should be preaching the same gospel these disciples preached. We should be seeing the same miraculous transformation take place in those who repent and believe. We should see the same sort of miracles and gifts of the Spirit at work because these are available to us as well. Do you agree with that? Yes. Yeah. One, one more. Some of the very first sermons ever preached are recorded here. Luke allows us to listen as Peter preaches to thousands in Jerusalem. And as Paul preaches to Jews in Galatia or to Greeks in Athens. We hear Stephen confront Israel's history of unbelief. We hear Philip explain Isaiah 53 to a man from Ethiopia. And hear Peter evangelize a Roman household. This is a book rich in apostolic doctrine and apostolic modeling. Here are the truths we should still be declaring today. Yes, of course, we must communicate them in ways so that those to whom we were speaking understand. But the truths themselves are eternal. And here we see the spiritual vitality in which we too should be ministering. And if the book of Acts is understood this way and given the full authority it deserves... It becomes a powerful prophetic voice calling each generation, to put it in the words of Revelation, to remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first. Amen? Amen. God's strategy to win the world can be put into two words. Multiply Jesus. Would you say that? Think about it. God had a strategy to win the world. This was his strategy. Multiply Jesus. He, Jesus says, it is, don't, don't be sorry that I'm, I'm going to ascend into heaven. This is good. This is part of the, the plan. I ascend. I'll ask the Father. The Spirit will be poured out on you. And he will dwell in you and upon you as he has with me. You now, empowered as I have been empowered, will follow my directions for I'll be with you. I the head, you my body. And we will now take my ministry, which has been restricted to one physical person, and we will multiply it into tens, hundreds, thousands, millions. And my ministry will now be carried, I guiding, you, you carrying it out. My ministry will continue. I'm not going to stop ministering at all. I'm not done. I'm not done healing the sick or casting out devils. I'm not done preaching to the, to, to the needy. I'm, I'm not done caring for the brokenhearted and poor. I'm not done at all. I've just begun, in fact. But now we're changing strategies. I ascend. Spirit comes. You now are my hands and my feet. You're my eyes and, you're my, eyes and my ears and my flesh on this planet. I am the head. And through you, I will continue to minister to the world. Do you see that? 
It's really important to get a hold of that. I'm not making this up. This is absolutely. I mean, I could, I could bore you with Scripture after Scripture showing you that what I just said is, is what's thought of. Paul says, the fullness of God dwells in us. The fullness of God dwells in us. He, Paul, over and over again, in fact, I give you a raft of Scriptures. You can look them up there, where he says, he's the head, we're his body. He, he guides, we, 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 do, we carry out. Paul understood it that way. He would take spirit-filled men and women and scatter them everywhere. He would be their head and they would be his body. So Jesus' ministry would not end at his ascension, but shift into high gear. No longer would Jesus be limited to being in one place at a time. Now his people could carry him everywhere. Here are three promises uh, that we see being fulfilled in the book of Acts. Jesus said that after he ascended into heaven... The Holy Spirit would come and actually dwell inside us. This is what the Father promised. I want you to see that profound change. Uh, let's start. I'm going to just do it through the Gospel of John. So go, go with me to John 4 a minute. You know these passages, but I, I just want you to see what a consistent theme they are. These aren't scattered statements. There's a, there's a progression and, and an attention to this. Jesus is in, is in Samaria. He's at a well. Uh, a woman comes, he says, give me a drink. Uh, she begins to say, why are you even asking me? Hey, we've got political problems here. And then he says to her in verse 10, if you knew the gift of God, meaning himself, or, or actually meaning the fullness of the Spirit, meaning this coming of the Spirit, and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, the Messiah who will rise and give this Spirit, you would have asked him and he would have given you what? What's living water? Come on, say the Holy Spirit. Yeah, he says, if you knew the gift of God, the promise of the Father, this coming of the Spirit, and who it is who's talking to you, the one who will give it, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. I'd give you the Holy Spirit. And then he goes on, verse 13, everyone who drinks of this water, this normal water, will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water I give him, what is that? Holy Spirit, shall never thirst spiritually. But the water that I will give him will become in him, where? In him, a well of water springing up to eternal life. Not only will you not, you'll have a well inside of you. Inside of you, the Holy Spirit will be in such abundance, you'll never be thirsty again. You never have to go find the Holy Spirit. He will be within you. Amen? So it's a matter of learning to turn to him again. Now go to chapter 7. This is, uh, I'm, I'm at verse uh, 37. This takes place on the Feast of Booths. Feast of Booths was the, uh, was the celebration of the Exodus. Uh, Israel, all the families make a little, little, little leaf hut. And they go out and sleep in the hut. And they're remembering their days in the Exodus. They're uh, in the wilderness. And so one of the ceremonies that goes on at the Feast of Booths is that the high priest would take a silver pitcher and it's full of water, and he pours out before the Lord that water. And, and it's, it's, it's symbolic of this. They're at the end of the dry season, and they've got their cisterns and their, their saved up water from the, from the rainy season. But what he's saying, in effect, is, God, we pour out all the water we have as we enter this new season, trusting that you will give us rain. <laughs> 
you will give us water and you will refresh the land. You will water for our crops. So we pour out what we have, trusting that we know you will give us more. We don't hoard. We don't hang on. Get it? It's a powerful statement of faith. We pour out what we have for you will give us water. All right. In, in the, now watch that. That's what's just happened. Listen to him. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Say innermost being. The Greek word is koilia. You have the coils of a rope. Koilia, frankly, forgive me, it's the coiling of your intestines. It's, it's just like rope, isn't it? I mean, it's all coiled in there. Your coilia. It means this, it's not referring to your digestive system. It is referring to, however, to your thoracic, your innermost being here. He's very specific. He says, out of here will flow. Now we've gone from a well to what? A river. You can't drink a river, folks. It'll kill you if you try. I mean, it's more than you can even, you can't, get, you can't contain this. So he's trying to tell us superabundance, superabundance, way more than you can ever use. Uh, it's, I'm going to put within you God himself. God himself. Uh, uh, rivers of living water. Now, John is very careful to explain exactly what we've just heard. Look at verse 39. But this he spoke of the Spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. John's saying, we did not have it then. We did not have this spirit like that then. For the spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet what? Glorified. glorified. He was not yet glorified. That means fundamentally the most key moment is resurrected. At his resurrection, this day I have begotten thee. He becomes the, he becomes the messianic king. He goes from the suffering servant to the messianic king. At the moment of his resurrection, he is glorified into his new state. But he also ascends into heaven. It's part of it. So that's what he's saying. Until that has happened, the spirit wouldn't be given. Which is exactly what Jesus taught them over and over again. One more verse. Chapter, seven, uh, chapter 14. Verse 16. Jesus says, I will ask the Father... And he will give you another helper, the Holy Spirit, that he may be with you for how long? Don't, look, look at that word. Isn't that beautiful? How long does he stay with you? Or, yeah, I love that. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it doesn't see him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and will be what? In you. All right. So the Spirit of God to his disciples now in that condition, he is with you. They were saved people. They were, they, were, they, were, they were men who believed. They had repented. I mean, they were, a bunch of them were John's disciples. They had repented and, and they believed in him. And he says he's with you. But when I'm done with my ministry, when I have died for your sins and risen from the dead and ascended into heaven, I'll pour, I'll pour out, I'll ask the Father and I will pour out upon you a gift of the Holy Spirit who will dwell in you. It has been Emmanuel, God with us. Christmas, it will become Pentecost, God in you. You see it? This is, this is, this is, this is the theology of the New Testament. This is what Jesus was 
was teaching and explaining. This is how he thought we'd win the world. Next, next promise. The Holy Spirit would bring with him the actual presence of Jesus. In this way, Jesus said he would return and be with us. Number three, we should expect to minister in the same power as he did. Would you read John 14, 12 there? Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these will he do, because I go to the Father. Could it be more clear? Because I go to the Father, and what will happen after I go to the Father? The Spirit will be poured out in this new way. Because this happens, what will happen? How many today believe in him? Okay, so you're, you're this person, right? Yeah. He who believes in me, she who believes in me, the works that I do, he or she will do also. Didn't it say that? So what kind of works did he do? He healed the sick. He cleansed. The, he raised the dead. Look out. Come on. He, he, he cast things out. He healed. He, 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 he multiplied loaves and fish. I mean, he, he, didn't, he didn't do it. As, those weren't magic tricks. They, he was following the lead of God. But there was virtually nothing limited, right? So should I expect that that kind of thing would attend us as well? All right, next one. Pruning the vine. Jesus also said, and why don't you read that with me. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, the Father takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. So the fruit-bearing branch, the person who's a faithful disciple, will can, can count on getting regularly pruned by the Father. Real prophetic words seldom contain new information. They usually call us back to obedience to something we had been told to do in the past, yet had forgotten. In other words, like the branch on a grapevine, we wilt. No sooner do we hear God speak than we begin the process of drifting back to the way we were. Did you follow that? Yeah. Lord puts, tells you something, you go, I got it, I believe that, I'll obey, yes, Amen. And as time goes on, all of us do this, we tend to drift back away from it. To remain in the place of obedience requires regular pruning. We must allow God to continually correct us, to put us back on course when we stray to the right or to the left. You stay in the will of God as God continually corrects us and brings us back. You and I, by nature, will turn right, we'll turn left, we'll drop back, we have that way. But God will, if we let him, I mean, it happens every time you worship, it happens every time you're in the word. I mean, if you, God is constantly correcting us, pruning the branch, the, cutting the wilt off, as it were, cutting the stuff off and putting us back into the center path. If we allow Acts to speak, the book of Acts, it has a strong prophetic voice. It prunes us. It calls us back to our foundations. If we believe Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and may I point out, I am not taking that out of context, forgive me, Barnabas meant exactly that. That's what he was talking about. He said, he said in fact, you can look at there. I, I give you both verses. He says, look at those who brought the faith to you and imitate their faith. 
For Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. He says, they walked in power, didn't they? So should you. That's exactly what he's saying. And yet, we, if we aren't seeing this same vitality, it challenges us to ask why. If we knew for certain that God wanted to move through his people today, in the same way as he moved through the early church, would we welcome that and even seek his power? You say, well, why do you even put it that way? Why do you say, if we knew for certain? Because this is a battleground. I know of one commentary, one commentary that has a, has a, a Pentecostal leaning. I know of one, and there will be a second. But, but, so anything you read, your footnotes, everyone's telling you these things aren't for today. I had someone just recently uh, who'd been baptized in the Holy Spirit. Their family wrote them and said, that must be demonic. Well, why on earth would it be demonic? Because you have a theology that said these things aren't for today. So whatever happened to you ain't it. Ipso facto. That's the way it works. See? It, because because it, God doesn't do these things anymore. Why? Well, because we say so. Or they pour it out, or they go to this most... It's, it's, it's virtually embarrassing. It is a sign of lack of integrity that they will go to 1 Corinthians 13 and say that teleos, the, the perfect, means the Bible. There's not one decent scholar, not one person that will look at their, themselves in a mirror and not laugh when they say that. They know perfectly well that word doesn't mean that. No one thinks the word means that, but they're desperate to try to put an end to this thing. Why? Because they don't have it. So you've got to understand something about us. All of us are like this. We tend to think we're it. And so if I'm not doing it, you shouldn't be doing it. It's pretty simple theology, isn't it? I am what he wants. And since I'm not, you shouldn't. And so this fight goes on. This battle goes on. I'm, I'm telling you this not to be negative. I'm telling you this because this is the turf. This is the world in which you live, theologically. This is what you'll get when you go to the bookstore. This is the, this is the stuff you'll hear, by and large. And so, as we move forward, if you say, oh, no, no, I'm considering the book of Acts to be normative. I'm, I'm considering this as an example of our fathers and mothers walking out faithfully the faith that Jesus Christ asked them to do. This is what it's supposed to look like. Sure, it'll be different in our culture in some form, but the content won't. What we say won't. What the, the, the working of God won't. If you say that, you are at odds with what has historically been laid down. So you, you, you'll have, I just tell you that. To move forward is to separate ourselves from an awful lot of negative thinking on this matter. Would, so if we knew for certain that God wanted to move through his people today in the same way as he moved through the early church? Would we welcome that and even seek his power? Would we be willing to humble ourselves and persistently pursue him like Bartimaeus, the blind man who called out from the roadside, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. You remember that? Jesus is coming out of Jericho, heading toward Jerusalem, and there in the roadside, 
is this blind man, and he hears it's Jesus coming, and what does he do? He calls out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. That term, son of David, is a hot political uh, term. It means messianic uh, leader, rise up and lead us. Uh, it, there's Romans around. The people shush him, and they say, stop it, be quiet. What does he do? How does he handle that? I love Mark Bartimaeus. He says he cries out all the louder, Jesus! Son of David, have, have mercy on me. How did, he, how did Jesus respond? He loved it. He stops the parade, man. Like, oh, everybody, who's that? And then Bartimaeus comes up and he says, what do you want? <laughs> well, he's going to make him say it. He's drawing him out. What do you want? I want my sight. Bartimaeus, look at that line there. His faith was aggressive and refused to be denied. Would we be like that? Jesus loved aggressive faith. This is not, there's, I know presumption. You can try to force God's hand on a thing. But when you're within the will of God, when you're in the, in the clear, you cannot receive things from God passively. You have to rise up. You, all right, so you, you aren't sure, but then settle it in your mind. Is it or isn't it the will of God? But, but a mushy middle doesn't do anything. If it's the will of God, go for it. Contend for it. Think of the woman with the issue of blood. Remember her? She's, here's this massive crowd pushing and shoving Jesus, and this weak, anemic woman somehow works her way through and grabs through the crowd and gets a hold of probably his prayer shawl and gets the talit uh, on the prayer shawl and grabs the thing, and she gets healed right on the spot. <laughs> That's what happened. She, <laughs> whoo, and she's feeling good. The crowd's bumping and shoving him everywhere. Jesus stops and turns around and goes, who touched me? Peter is going, touched you? Cut, get a, what is your problem? And he says, no, for I felt the virtue go out of me. Somebody laid hold of me in faith. Bumping against me is one thing. Laying hold of me in faith is another. And notice he didn't even know she'd done it. She took the initiative and laid hold of him. Was he angry at her? No. You know what he called her? Daughter of Abraham. You know what he means by that? Saved woman. When he calls you son of Abraham or daughter of Abraham, he means you're on your way to heaven. He means you're righteous. That's what he means by it. He turns to her and says, daughter. He loves it. Think of the Syrophoenician woman. She's, she's got a sick, sick uh, daughter at home. She's, he's on vacation up in Phoenicia. He's getting away from the crowds, trying to rest. She comes up and goes, Master, heal my, heal my daughter. And, he's, and, he, and he, he uses a cultural slur. He insults her. He says, it's not right to give the children's bread to the dogs. You're a Gentile. She doesn't take that one second. She, no, you're not going to insult her out of this thing. She goes right on by it. She says, yeah, well, the puppies eat the crumbs off the children's, bread, off the children's table. He goes, woman, I love that. You know, <laughs> he does. And he's just, you got it. And instantly her, her, her daughter was healed. That's the kind of aggressive faith. People, if we want the move of God, we can't just say, well, he can do what he wants to do. We're here. Not going anywhere. Hit me. You can't do that. It won't happen. 
there is in us a contention that says, I will not be denied. I know what your word says. I read the scriptures. I am not out of the will of God. I'm in the will of God. You've promised this. We contend for it, O oh God. Whatever, whatever we have to do to bring down the mountains or lift up the valleys, whatever we have to do to make the, the rough places smooth, we'll do it. We'll repent. Speak to us. Correct us. But we will not be denied that the glory of God will come. Not just, not just the Northwest Church. We, it's, it's, we're, this has got to... In, our, in, our, in this place, in our generation now, we're believing you for all that you want to do. And if the Lord's presence came in such power, would we be willing to pay the price? In truth, the book of Acts is intimidating. Yes, they had power and fruit, but they also had trouble, if you recall. Basically, tremendous relationship, great anointing in jail. Jail just seems to be part of it. It ends in jail. Opposition arose quickly, so Acts also makes us ponder a deeper question. Are we willing to live like they lived? They studied the word, endured in prayer, refused strife, sought holiness, and stepped out and obeyed quickly when they heard him speak. Would we do that? As we read the, this book, the Holy Spirit will again and again tug at our hearts and ask those questions. May God give us the spiritual hunger and courage to say yes. Would you stand with me? The spiritual hunger... The spiritual hunger. You can grow disappointed. You can allow condemnation and shame to take away from you any expectation. There's something that decides in us that says, God, I see the word. It isn't based on whether I've got my act together. I will indeed let you change and clean and work in me any way you want. But I know perfectly well. There's no, no, no chance in the world I'm going to somehow get myself so holy this is going to come. That's a, that's a terribly wrong way to approach this, people. I'll get so holy that you'll come finally. When I get my act together, then we'll have a revival. That's baloney. That is just wrong thinking. It's not true. You'll never get there. So we're done. The, the woman with the issue of blood, the Syrophoenician woman, Bartimaeus, they didn't have, I, don't, I don't know if they had their act together. They had faith. They laid hold of him in faith. They believed he could do what he said he would do. They trusted with such confidence that they laid hold of him. Honestly, does holiness come first or does the power of the Spirit come first? I would almost argue that the power of the Spirit, as He begins to come upon us, holiness begins to result. There's almost a cleansing and a purging. I mean, He's so real that the world just loses its appeal. One of the great problems of the reason that so, temptation is so strong is the body of Christ is bored. There's nothing going on. So you look around for entertainment. You look around to make, put some spice in life, for heaven's sake. You can get it in the church. Boy, when God's moving, 
It's so tender, so precious, so wonderful. You'll sacrifice anything. Oh, get that out of the way. I want nothing to take the anointing. I want nothing to damage this. I will not entertain this, for I want more of him. Presence of God literally cleanses us and strengthens us for holiness. So don't think you're going to get your act together. But can we say, God, bring down the mountains. What are the mountains? Those are, those are obstacles. I'm going to believe by faith that those obstacles in front of me will be removed. What are the valleys? Those are the temptations and the weaknesses. God, I repent. I repent of anything you need to do. Uh, but I just get it out of there. What are the rough places? The, 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 the problems, the issues, the, the logistics. Just get it out of the way. That the king may come in. That the king may come in his power and dwell among us. Do we want that? Will we pay that price? Father God, we stand before you as we, as we approach this wonderful book of Acts. This history of our, our forefathers and mothers. We ask, oh God, right now that you would work in our hearts. We say to you, we open our ears to the prophecy. We open our ears to the challenge. We open our ears to the example of men and women. We refuse to play games. We open ourselves, oh God, and ask you to do in us the same. We would walk in that power. We would, we would, we would care for one another and love one another as they did. We would obey you quickly and let you move mightily. Jesus, multiply. Come among us by the Spirit and lead your body. We are believing for this generation. We are believing for this region. We are believing for even people like us that you will do a mighty work. May the glory of the Lord come among us. If you agree with that prayer, would you say, yes, Lord. Do all you need to do in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.